supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen. AM 1420, WBSM presents Spooky South Coast with your hosts, Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa. Good evening. Welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here. There is no silent assassin, Matt Costa. There is no science advisor, Matt Moniz. It's just myself piloting the ship all by my lonesome tonight because we're on at a special start time. 7 to 9.20 tonight because the Red Sox are coming up there in Oakland. The pregame is set for 9.20, so it's just going to be nonstop spookiness from now until then. We talk about the paranormal each and every Saturday night. Normally, we're on from 10 to midnight, but again, we're here at a special start time this week. And uh, what a great night it is to have a special start time because now I can go home and go to bed. I, uh, I was here early this morning for the morning show, 6 to 9, every Saturday. If you are up and awake, check it out. And uh, if you are new to this show, we like to take things, uh, you know, we, we talk about the paranormal pretty seriously, but we don't take ourselves too seriously. And normally I have a couple of co-hosts in here with me, but tonight they are out doing other things. Matt Costa may come in, depending on what time he gets out of work, if he can get here on time. Because we have to have a meeting, him and I, about SpookySouthCoast.com, and we have a whole bunch of changes going on over at the website. We have some new contributing writers who will be uh, adding blog articles throughout the course of the week to the SpookySouthCoast.com site. So we're happy to have them on board. We also want to welcome two new members of what we call the Spooky Crew, and that is our graphics gal, uh, Christina Tufty. She's going to be designing some graphics for us each and every week to help promote the show. And uh, also our new webmistress, Summer Ronso. So welcome aboard, ladies. You are the first official female members of the Spooky Crew, and uh, we apologize for the smell. And if you are also new to the show, we've been doing this for seven and a half years. So why not go to SpookySouthCoast.com or go to iTunes and download years and years worth of podcasts, uh, some of the greatest hits of Spooky South Coast, some of the not-so-greatest hits. They're all up there, warts and all, for you to download and peruse. And uh, we also have what we call Spooky TV, which normally is a lot more exciting than it is tonight. If you go to SpookySouthCoast.com, and now if you go to WBSM.com and go to the Spooky South Coast page there uh, on that site, you can see what's going on in the studio. We call it Spooky TV. We normally have four cameras set up, and we go back and forth, shot to shot, to each of the guys. And we also have a chat room set up on SpookySouthCoast.com as well, where a number of our regular listeners always come in and join in the fun. And I'm sorry, guys, if I can't get to the chat room tonight. I'm actually doing kind of everything by myself, uh, but I do see it over there. It is within reach of my uh, chair here, so I'm going to try and make sure that I can get over there and get some questions that way. But of course, we also welcome your questions via the old-fashioned method by calling in 508-996-0500-1877-996-1420. And tonight we are talking about probably one of the most requested topics of Spooky South Coast that we have yet to cover, and that is the concept of black-eyed kids. And joining us is David Weatherly. He wrote the book, literally, on black-eyed kids. He's a paranormal investigator and author, and for over 35 years, he has explored the world of the strange, investigating cases around the country and abroad. He has written and lectured on a diverse range of topics, including cryptozoology, ufology, and hauntings. He also studied uh, shamanic and magical traditions with elders from numerous cultures, including Tibet, Native America, Europe, and Africa. He has appeared on numerous radio programs, of course, this being his first time on Spooky South Coast, and is also a writer for Intrepid Magazines. And you can check him out online, Two Crows Paranormal. 
paranormal.blogspot.com, which is linked up right on the front page of SpookySouthCoast.com. And we welcome to the program David Weatherly. Good evening, David. How are you? Good evening, Tim. How are you doing? I'm doing well for uh, for doing everything by myself tonight, but that's all right. <laughs> so the idea of black-eyed kids is something that we haven't covered here on the show in the past. We've heard stories uh, from different paranormal investigators and people who have called in and shared their own thoughts about <coughs> mysterious kid-type figures, but we haven't actually gotten any reports of literally the black-eyed kid phenomenon. And this is something that uh, I thought was relatively new, but it turns out it's been going on for quite some time. That's correct. Uh, there's sort of two waves of this phenomena, if you will. Uh, you know, a lot of people look to the more modern sightings, which started in the late 90s with a report that was posted on the Internet by a Texas journalist named Brian Bethel. Now, this is probably the most famous encounter with black-eyed children, hands down. Uh, Bethel was recently on a program, and, and his story was recreated, so even more people have been exposed to it. But essentially, he went to a parking lot late one night to uh, write a check and pay a bill, and as he's sitting in his car at the strip mall writing the check out, these two kids approached his car. And... You know, they sort of tapped on the window and said, hey, mister. And for some reason, Bethel was initially very uneasy. And, you know, he's sort of looking around and, and trying to figure out what's going on as these kids begin to speak to him. And they're saying things like, hey, we want to see this movie and we left our money at home. Uh, we, we want you to give us a ride. And as this is unfolding... Bethel had the the consciousness to look around, and he looked at the movie marquee and realized that the film they wanted to see was already well underway. So things just weren't quite adding up. And because he felt so cautious, he had only just rolled his window down slightly enough to hear these kids. He becomes more and more uneasy as it unfolds, and at some point as he's you know trying to grasp exactly you know what's going on, why he's feeling so strange he realizes these two kids have solid black eyes. Now, this is not, I have to clarify, this is not a black pupil. The entire eye, the entire sclera is solid black, much like the common depictions of the gray aliens, for instance. And, you know, that sort of pushes Bethel over, over the edge when he sees this. He, he drives away from these kids as quickly as he can. Now, he posted his story on an early um, chat board, and he got an incredible response. You know, people started posting saying, oh, my God, I've seen something like this. Uh, they were just very compelled and very intrigued by the story. And, you know, I've spoken with Brian before, and he said that he got so overwhelmed with the number of people that wanted to talk to him about it, he sort of withdrew from all of this. But in the interim, as the years unfolded, more people posted similar encounters on the Internet. And it sort of steamrolled. Now, the result was that a lot of people started to believe this was simply an urban legend, uh, you know, created by the, the Internet age. And other people thought they were just, you know, outright hoaxes. But the encounters just kept coming. And, uh, Tim, I, I believe you've read my book. So, you know, I had sort of a inside track how I got, you know, interested in exploring this phenomenon. But right. through my work, I, I ended up discovering that, these encounters actually go back much further in history. You know, what we're seeing is sort of the, the modern wave of them that started in the late 90s, but there are accounts that go much further back in history. 
Well, in the book, you mention uh, a case that goes back uh, to the 1950, I believe. Mm-hmm, and, that's right. and, and in terms of you know our more modern society, you also have some of the uh, more uh, historical society uh, stories from other societies throughout the world. But uh, in terms of our, uh, I, I guess our modern day era of the paranormal, there, there's a, a encounter from 1950 which I found to be fascinating. That was an incredibly fascinating encounter. You know, one of the things I set out to do when I explored the phenomena uh, was to try to determine whether this was all urban legend. And, you know, let me see if we can go into this more. I actually met a gentleman in the early 2000s who had had an encounter with a pair of these uh, children. And it was his account was pretty mind-boggling, and it sort of set me on a path to say, okay, maybe there's more to this. Let me explore it some and see what I can find. And over the years, I started finding accounts. And at one point, I realized the trick to finding older encounters was that you have to take away the terminology, black-eyed kid, black-eyed child, uh, BEK, which is a common acronym, and start looking for the various aspects that identify these encounters under different cultural explanations. You know, you had to look at the culture and the time period of the people experiencing these things and how they would identify it within their parameters. So the account from 1950, for instance, which is incredibly fascinating, uh, involved a young man who lived in a, a rural community, was walking home one day along this you know, dirt road, and he's sort of following the, the fence line that leads up to his house. And when he gets to the, the corner, there's this uh, boy leaning against the fence. And this gentleman, his, his name was Harold, he, he says to the young boy, hey, how you doing? He, he just starts talking to him. Now, Harold, you know, is just a completely good-natured guy. He would talk to anybody, and he would just, you know, talk a mile a minute. And he starts talking to this, this young boy and at some point realizes he's not getting any response, that the, the kid is just kind of, you know, standing there sort of, staring at the ground, and, and Harold says, hey, are you all right? And this boy looks up at him and, and says in this very cold, monotone voice, I want to go up to your house. You walk me up to your house. And Harold, as this is unfolding, is looking at this boy and realizes that this young boy has solid black eyes. Harold simply is thinking, "Oh, this is you know, this is creepy. I want to. I'm going to run away from this kid." And he doesn't verbalize that. In a seeming act of mind reading, however, uh, this young boy says, "Now, don't you run away from me. You're going to walk me up to your house." And uh, of course, the story is, you know, that Harold broke his his personal track record for running up to his house that day. <laughs> uh, as he's running up this dirt lane, however, away from this boy. He heard what he described as something similar to the screech of a bobcat coming from this child. Uh, Harold reaches his home. He bursts through the door. Uh, his parents are inside, and, and you know, but gosh, Harold, what in the world are you doing? And, and he explains his encounter. Now, the parents' reaction is, uh, again, bear in mind, very rural farming community in 1950. The father grabs shotgun, proceeds down the driveway to see, you know, who's in his <laughs> neck of the woods causing trouble, so to speak. And the mother says, oh, my Lord, Harold has met the devil. Uh, we have to take you down to 
the, you know, the clergy that gets you cleansed. So, you know, in this account, they, they never once referred to this uh, being as a black-eyed child or black-eyed kid. No. Their cultural perception was that this was some manifestation of, of a demonic entity, you know, possibly the devil itself, because, you know, there were all kinds of legends in, in rural communities of, you know, the devil showing up at crossroads and, and places to tempt people and so forth. So within their understanding, that's what has happened, and that, that's how they dealt with it as a result. Well, uh, I do want to get into some more of these reports about black-eyed kids uh, coming up in this hour. And then in the next hour, I really want to delve into what could be some of the causes of these uh, sightings because it's interesting how they they take different forms uh, depending on what lens you look at them through. If you look at them through a ufology lens, they fit in some of that. If you look at them through a, a demonic lens, they fit in with that. So we'll talk about that coming up in the next hour. And also, if you've ever had an encounter with a black-eyed kid and you want to share your story with David Weatherly, our guest tonight, give us a call, 508 996 1-877-996-1420. We do have to take a break, but we'll be back with more here on Spooky South Coast on WBSM. Always on air, always online, always free. AM 1420 WBSM. Hello. Hey, man. Hello. You up? Hello. Wake up. I need to talk to you. I think your house is haunted. Hey, come on. It's 2.30 in the morning. I can't sleep in here, man. I'm scared. All right, welcome back in the Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here broadcasting on WBSM and online on WBSM.com and on SpookySouthCoast.com as well. You can check out Spooky TV on both of those websites and see what's going on in the studio. But, of course, it's not much tonight because it's just me here piloting the show. Matt Costa and Matt Moniz are both out tonight. Matt Costa may make it before the end of the program, but we'll see. And we are talking tonight with David Weatherly about his book, The Black-Eyed Children, and this whole phenomena of black-eyed kids, which is something that has really gained steam over the last few years. And uh, David, I think we should probably let people know that um, while, while it's not uncommon to have uh, people that have different things wrong with their eyes. And you get into that in the book. I mean, there, there are a lot of uh, physical deformities and, and physical anomalies with people's eyes. But when you see a black-eyed kid, you know it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, there's a whole chapter in the book uh, that explores some of the possible uh, logical explanations for this phenomena. And, and quite frankly, there are very few. You know, there are a couple of diseases that distort the eyes. Um, there aren't any that cause the entire eye to go solid black. Uh, there's also a common myth that there are, are drugs that can cause an eye to turn solid black. That's, that's not the case either. And uh, anyone, you know, if someone was born with solid black eyes, they essentially would be blind. You know, according to the specialist that I talked to, because no light would be penetrating the eye. So, you know, there's all those aspects of it. And, of course, you know, there, there's a potential for hoaxing, uh, which I, I cover pretty thoroughly in the book, I think. But in terms of these encounters, it's important for people to understand that while the focus is um, on the eyes in these accounts, 
that's not everything that, that goes on as these encounters unfold. That's only one component. Obviously, it's the most physically you know, startling one. But in the accounts that I have found that I consider to be, to be valid encounters, uh, there are a lot of other components. For instance, uh, there's this reaction that takes place within the victims where they go from feeling very uneasy to being outright nervous to having their uh, flight response kick in. And, you know, I've had people describe it to me as something uh, that they, they've never encountered before, that their entire body just felt, you know, like it was uh, being pressured or, or, or being affected somehow, that, you know, that they didn't really have any control of themselves, that they had to run away. And, you know, some of the effects, it's, it's curious, they sound very similar to infrasound, for instance, uh, that can affect the human body. And, you know, those, that's one of the, the most uh, significant things about these encounters is that, you know, the people, um, they don't just see a child with, with solid black eyes. There are these other components that come in that, that are actually, actually frightening. Uh, there's also the fact that in, in these encounters, these children, they sort of appear and disappear very suddenly. You know, I have accounts from, for instance, law enforcement officers, officers who literally turn their head for a moment, and when they look back, these children are gone. Uh, now, these are people who are, you know, trained to be aware and observant, and somehow these beings simply disappear in front of them. And there's so much consistency to these reports, though. That's what makes it especially intriguing to me is, you know, normally when we have a, a phenomena that we examine within the world of the paranormal, there's a, a lot of room for people's interpretation of what they experience. But it seems that with these black-eyed children, it's pretty much cut and dry what's going to happen. They're going to show up. They're going to creep you out. They're going to basically paralyze you with fear. They're going to have the same type of appearance, and they almost seem to follow a script. Very much so. And, you know, it's um, one of the things that's intriguing about the phenomena and quite puzzling, uh, actually, because it's, it's very unclear, for instance, you know, what their agenda is or, or what the point of the encounter is. It, it seems as if the purpose is just to generate that high level of fear within people, and then they're done. And when they do have these encounters, uh, you know, to, to have that paralyzation uh, of not being able to move and, and almost not being able to respond, it's, it's like they're in a trance. Yeah, some people even point out that there are aspects of the encounters that lead them to believe these children are attempting to exert some type of hypnosis or mind control. Uh, it was very interesting. I heard an account from a woman who she had actually utilized hypnotherapy to quit smoking. And when she started using it, she had a very difficult time becoming relaxed and going into a hypnotic state. So it took her a little bit of time to work with her, her hypnotherapist to, you know, become comfortable with that. And she told me that, in the course of it, she developed a very particular, um, she, she really knew when her body was hitting that stage where it could relax and she was about to slip into trance. So she was successful using, you know, the therapy to quit smoking. And sometime later, you know, it was a few years later or something, I believe, she encountered these black-eyed children. And she said that when these children began to speak to her, because most of the encounters, people report that, that they speak in a very monotone manner. Um, 
cold and kind of flat, and, and they repeat the same phrases over and over again. Uh, these kids started to speak to this woman, and she said that she felt her body starting to go into that state that she entered when she was about to go into a hypnotic trance. And, of course, you know, this was a big, you know, red flag for her, so she got away from these kids as quickly as she could. But it, it was very interesting to hear that perspective from someone who had before. Well, we have to take another break. That's the problem with being on in this primetime slot is there's a lot more commercials than we normally have. <laughs> normally we get like one or two an hour and we're free to just talk and talk and talk about the subject matter. But, you know, we've actually got to pay the bills tonight here. So we'll take a break. Uh, again, the phone lines will be open throughout the course of the show. 508-996-0500. 18779961420 and if you're watching the show on Spooky TV at spookysouthcoast.com just look at the top of the page you'll see the numbers right there you can also email us spookycrew at spookysouthcoast.com if you want to submit your question that way and you can also tweet it to us at spooky sc so we'll take a break when we come back more about black eyed children with our guest David Weatherly we'll get into more about these reports about how these black eyed kids can really wreak havoc on you and uh, more about where they might come from as well so stay tuned. We'll be right back with more here on Spooky South Coast on WBSM. Welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here. Our guest tonight is David Weatherly, and we are talking about the phenomenon known as the Black Eyed Children or the Black Eyed Kids. And we'll take your calls throughout the course of the night, 508 996 one eight seven seven nine nine six fourteen twenty. We do have a call on the line right now, so let's go to that. Good evening. You are on Spooky South Coast with David Weatherly. How you doing? Oh, so I'm going to sound strange, maybe like the black-eyed children. <laughs> but uh, I have a question: are, are they human? Well, what do you what do you think, David? I mean, uh, this is kind of a loaded question, but uh, what do you mean by loaded? I mean, I uh, oh, well, we're going to get into some of the theories about what these uh, children oh, could be, but well, well I can listen. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't I, know. Um, they they must look strange if you can't see a pupil. Yeah, that's that's actually a, a very loaded question, as you say, Tim. It it sort of gets into. Uh, exploring a lot of the different theories that explain what these beings are. They appear, for the most part, to be human, except for, obviously, the, the solid black eyes. Uh, most people describe them as having very pale or, or pasty skin. Uh, but outside of that, the rest of the form appears to be human. And certainly the people who are encountering them at, at first glance, you know, they, they feel that they're human. They're just humans that aren't quite right. Well, I, well I, I would think that, but, um, I mean, do you meet them in New Bedford, or where do people see these children? Well, thankfully, I haven't heard of any in New Bedford yet. I don't know if David has, but I'm sure I'll <laughs> see one before the end of the night, though. <laughs> we might have one knocking on your studio door. Well, well, I'll keep listening. Uh, it, it's very interesting. Uh, well, thank you so much for the call. Yeah, and, and I enjoy your uh, Saturday morning. Um, you're, you're replacing the other uh, gentleman. Oh, thank you. Yes, yeah. uh, T Taylor moved to Monday through Friday during yes, the week. Yes, so yes, so I enjoy your show on, um, on Saturday morning. Well, thank you so Maybe much. Maybe I can call you and talk about 
normal things. <laughs> oh, well, I hope you don't have to call me and talk about a black-eyed kid encounter. So no, well, no, well, no I, I hope not. I think <laughs> I think I'll stay in for a few days. <laughs> All right, well, thank you so I'll much. I'll keep listening. Bye bye. Uh, to answer the rest of that question, these uh, encounters are worldwide at this point. You know, when I first started exploring the uh, the phenomena, it seemed to be U.S. based. There were sort of hot spots around the country where there seemed to be a high concentration of the accounts. But as I delved into it more, I started receiving encounters from around the world, and you know, they're in places as diverse as uh, Australia, the UK, South Africa, Canada. They're from virtually everywhere at this point. And you know, I have to emphasize too that there is such a dramatic increase in the number of these accounts that are coming out it, it, it's sort of mind-boggling i mean i'm i get accounts every day you know via email and, and other sources from people telling me about their encounters and i'm not the only investigator who tracks these things there are other people who have looked at the phenomena some and it's interesting because i talk to them and they hear different accounts than the ones i do so it, it's it's very significant how dramatically these have increased well, I think, too, that it helps that people are now opening up more about the phenomena and they're talking about it more. So if that's the case, then more people will be willing to come forward with their own encounters. Uh, and also, I think, as with anything in the paranormal, the more we discuss it, the more it – I don't want to say it makes it easier to believe, but it, it kind of does. It makes it easier to accept that that is happening to you and that it is what it is, and you're not trying to rationalize it in your mind. So instead of trying to explain it away, you can actually come away from it feeling like you had an encounter with a black-eyed kid. Well, sure. I mean, the, you know, the paranormal in general has become culturally acceptable now. You know, it's just sort of part of pop culture now. And it's funny. I mean, when I started in this field, you know, <laughs> I always tell people, you know, I, I could walk into a party when I started in this field and, and tell them what I did and everybody would stay away from me the rest of the night. And, you know, now, <laughs> now if I go to a party and, and, you know, tell people what I do, they're lined up out the door to tell me about their encounters, you know, whether it's with a ghost or a UFO or whatever. So, yeah, people have become comfortable with sharing these things. And with the black-eyed children in particular, you know, the more this is out there, the more um, accounts. I have a lot of people contact me and say, my God, I never knew what this was, but this happened to me, you know, 10 years ago or, or you know, three months ago or whatever. And, and they say, this is what happened. And it'll be, you know, one of these encounters with these one of these black-eyed beings. And, of course, there's the other possibility that they're happening because whatever's behind them uh, is ramping up for something. That's a very distinct possibility, too, and there are people in the field who believe that's exactly what's happening. Oh, man, I hope not. i, I got to tell you, I read, as you know, you know, being involved in the field, you read a lot of books all the time, and, and you're, uh, you tend to become desensitized to a lot of it, and it doesn't bother you. And you can read a book about a demonic encounter that somebody has and, and a terrifying haunting and, and still be able to close the book and lay your head on the pillow and go to bed. For some reason, the idea of the black-eyed kids just – it got right into me uh, as I was reading the book and I wouldn't read it after a certain time because I knew that if I did, I was going to go to sleep thinking about it. And every tap on the window, I would think is one of these kids outside. All right. <laughs> I'll take that as uh, some kind of endorsement for the book. Then. <laughs> oh, definitely. Definitely. Now, when you're uh, collecting all these stories uh, and we were talking about the similarities between them all, it, it is unique in the sense that you know, normally we can't follow these patterns uh, throughout paranormal activity. We think that 
like for example ghosts respond in a certain way we think that demonic cases go through certain stages well it's all just kind of speculation and theory based on on years of research with the black-eyed kids it's almost like you seem to have a, a basis to be able to follow and to explore it's just a matter of finding one of these kids i'd say yes and no you know one of the fascinating things about it is that even though there are common threads with the encounters you know the the Behavior is almost always the same. Now, there are some variables that we can address. You know, there, there are things that come in on uh, different percentages of the case. You know, for cases, for instance, a foul odor sometimes is reported, and, and there are some variables. But at the same time, uh, looking at the accounts overall, you know, I, I did this extensively when I was researching the book. I, I looked for patterns, and it was a little bit uh, frustrating initially to find that there were very few patterns in terms of when and where the encounters occurred, who they were in, you know, who was encountering them. Uh, that was one of the first things I looked for, you know, when I, I started correlating all these accounts, I, I looked at the uh, witnesses or, or victims, as I often call them, and looked for commonality. And there just wasn't any, you know, there there was no common religion or spiritual belief. There was no common gender or age frame or anything else. Now, what did emerge over time was uh, one of the few patterns I found amongst the, the victims was that there are a very high number of people who are, are in positions of authority who encounter these kids. So I have a lot of accounts from law enforcement officers, uh, military personnel, government employees, and you know, that, that's interesting, and at the same time, it's one of those things that makes you kind of scratch your head and say, wow, this is this is kind of weird, and how does this play in? You know, what exactly is, is the effect that's interacting with these kids that's causing this? And that is what is intriguing about it, because when you have these type of reports as a researcher, it's probably better for you, because... Uh, Sometimes, you know, when you're dealing with the average citizen, uh, you can really question their character and you can question what it is they have to gain from giving you these reports. Whereas with people who are in position of authority, they have a lot to lose if their their name gets out associated with some of these stories because people still kind of look at paranormal reports with the stink eye. So if you're accepting these stories from these people, it probably makes it sit a little bit better with you uh, to know that there are people who are of the utmost character, we, we would think. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, you're in this field, too, so it's just like any other kind of case. You know, I, I'm sure that you've had the scenario where you've been called somewhere to look at, you know, supposed poltergeist activity or UFO sighting or something, and, and, you know, 10 minutes into the interview, the person's asking you, you know, if do you, do you think I'll be interviewed on television for this? <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> you, you know you're in trouble when they say, well, I, I noticed that you had the guys from Ghost Hunters on your show. Does that mean yeah. that you know them? Um, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. But but it does happen. I mean, a lot of times people are just looking for uh, attention, and sometimes they just want uh, validation uh, for what happened to them. And, and, and they don't, you know, they don't want to necessarily hear any more than you just saying, okay, well, you're not the only person to experience that, and that's enough for them. But it seems like the stories that you collected in the book, these are people who are shaken to their very core. Absolutely. Yeah, these people, after these encounters, essentially behave like trauma victims. You know, uh, they are, they're marked. You can tell that they have experienced something 
very unnerving, something that has, has rocked them to the core, and they just want to understand what it is they experienced it. And, and most of them, you know, that's what they tell me. They say, I, I just want to understand what this was, and I want to know what I can do to make sure it does not happen again. I, I hear that, you know, almost 100% of the time. Yeah, that's probably the the scariest part about it is once it does happen to you, it's always in your mind as being something else that can happen. And just as I experienced reading the book, it's probably tenfold for them every time they hear a, a knock at the door. You know, they don't know who's going to be on the other side when they answer it. Uh, it's interesting, though, that there are no stories of people who actually let them come into their homes and let them into their vehicles. Uh, you know, there are just a few, and uh, there's one that made it into the book. Mm-hmm. That is, is, it was a pretty long story, and it was very traumatic for the family that was involved. Uh, you know, I, I'm constantly getting people asking me about that. You know, what happens when one lets them in? You know, what, what's, what's the other side of the story? There have been a number of stories that have been circulating on the Internet recently that supposedly, um, you know, that, that purport to be uh, accounts of people who have let these beings in. Uh, I, I don't know what I think of those. You know, if, if I can't sit down and interview the person personally and look at the facts, um, I don't comment on it too much. But the, the one account that's in the book, you know, I'm, I'm sure you read, was, was very disturbing. And it was, uh, you know, it affected that, that family on a number of levels because it was actually a, a child who invited the black-eyed child in. You know, so it was sort of uh, very innocent in uh, and how it unfolded, but uh, it, it led to some pretty negative consequences for this family. Overall, I find that in the in the account, the closer the contact and the more extensive the contact with these black-eyed children uh, is, the more um, negative things that people experience. You know, for instance, people that have touched them have had very strange things happen. You know, they've become ill. They've had you know, a strange a series of, of bad luck, uh, you know, things like that. And, and other people, you know, feel that these kids are some kind of an omen of misfortune or, or even death. You know, there are people that have had close encounters with them, and, and suddenly they afterwards they find out someone in their family has passed away. Well, it, when I first got the book, I was reading it, and I would have it on the table next to the couch, and I tried to kind of hide I have a nine-year-old son. And I tried to kind of hide it from him, and I put it in a way that he couldn't see the cover, you know, because I figured if he did, he'd be intrigued, and then he'd get freaked out, and, and I'd have to explain things to him uh, a little bit. And then it was when I read that story about the little boy that let one in that that's when I was like, okay, Adam, <laughs> should a child ever knock at the door? And when you look and see if he – I just – I didn't even worry about the black eyes. I just told him, if you see them wearing a hooded sweatshirt – you know, come and get me. Don't let them in. Right. And that's yeah. that's enough. But it, it is. It, it's as traumatic as it is. Um, they they as traumatic as the experience is while it's happening. There seems to be significant, almost post traumatic stress disorder uh, that results from having an encounter with them. Even even if you don't let them in, even if you just you know encounter them and, and interact with them, it's it's enough to leave you shell shocked. Absolutely. You know, as I said, these people are essentially trauma victims in the aftermath of these encounters. And it's very common to hear uh, disrupted sleep patterns. You know, people will have uh, nightmares of these black-eyed children. Uh, a lot of people, this is interesting too, a lot of people have these experiences where they will 
believe that these children have returned, and they'll be right at that edge between being asleep and being awake, laying in their bed, and they genuinely won't know whether what they believe just happened occurred in a dream or whether it was happening and it woke them up in the bed. So, you know, people will, for instance, say, I I know these kids were there. They were knocking on my bedroom window. And, you know, they'll they'll jump up out of bed and and run from the room because they believe this has just just happened. Uh, I think in these encounters, I, I think it's people that are just traumatized and, you know, continuing to, to experience this in their nightmares, you know, dreaming of the effect from these kids. But the other things you hear are, uh, you know, nervous conditions. Uh, some people border almost on paranoia. You know, I, I've talked to people who have had encounters with the children at their place of work, and they will quit that job because they find that it's just too nerve-wracking to go back to the same location. You know, there was a woman who who worked at a late-night convenience store. You know, she worked a late shift at uh, at a gas station convenience store, and she encountered uh, these kids at the store. You know, after it had closed, they were trying to get in, and, you know, she ended up quitting that job. She said she could just not work there, and they, they even shifted her to the day shift, but she said that every time she would go back to work, it replayed in her mind, you know, those kids being at the door trying to get in, and it was just too unnerving for her. You know, thinking about this uh, a little bit in terms of today's society and, and the way that we are as a people now, it makes me wonder if it has something to do with the fact that we are more insulated amongst ourselves these days, even though we're at a point in our existence where we have more communication and more ways to be able to communicate with people than ever before. You know, the cell phone is right in our hand and we can send video and pictures and live stream. And, uh, you know, we're so connected now, but we don't really spend the time to interact with each other on a personal one-on-one basis that I wonder if almost uh, this is something we can, again, we can talk about this in the second hour when we get into some of the stories of what might be behind these uh, black eyed kids. But I wonder if it's almost, playing on our uncomfortableness, our uneasiness with having to deal with people one-on-one and in close proximity in the way that they try to insinuate themselves into our lives. They want to come in. We have to let them in. And, I mean, maybe that's just the fear that they're preying on a little bit. It could be. You know, it's kind of funny, as you're saying. I mean, in a lot of ways, we're more social than we've ever been on this planet because, you know, as you say, I mean, my God, Facebook, Twitter, you know, constant things. We, we can talk to someone around the world. Uh, but at the same time, we've also become more insulated from uh, the experience of life, I think, in a lot of ways. And that's sort of a strange combination as it, uh, as it continues to unfold, uh, especially for the younger generations who are more and more focused around electronics and less about being out and, and enjoying social interaction. So there could be something to that, you know, um, there's evidence that these beings could be some type of a, a culpa or a thought form, you know, that's being created possibly from our fears, you know, or, or from the things that we're sort of shunning in our society. So a lot of different potentials. And how bad would that be for us <laughs> as a race, <laughs> as, a, as a species, if the problem is that, uh, you, you know, we, we just can't deal with each other anymore? <laughs> so, exactly. therefore, we have this, this fear of having to deal with uh, kids, you know, out of, out, of all the, uh, out of all the forms that uh, this fear could take, you know, to be a child. But then again, 
I think uh, children creep people out a lot of times. Uh, you know, you watch a, a scary movie, you're usually okay, but when they have that creepy kid that's, you know, yelling red rum, red rum, that's what really freaks people out. And, you know, that's the thing, Tim. I, I always tell people that it's important to understand with these encounters. And it does, I hear some people scoff at this. Oh, so what? You know, a kid, kid with black eyes showed up at the front door. So what? There's a lot of other things that, that happen during these encounters. Aside from the intense fear and, and the other things that people are battling with, you have to understand the psychological component. And that's that, you know, as adults, we're hardwired to help children. You know, if a mm-hmm. kid comes up to you in the street and says, hey, Mr., I need help, you're going to help him. But, you know, imagine yourself in a situation where a, a child has shown up at your car or your doorstep or whatever and, and says, you know, I, I need to use the bathroom or I need, I need a ride somewhere. This child is expressing that he wants help. But within, all your alarm bells are going off. Your body is, is you know, kicking into flight mode. That's a weird psychological battle that happens to these people. You know, I, I've literally heard these people say that they, they were so confused they couldn't process what was happening because here's a child that needs help, and their logical mind is saying, oh, I need to help this kid. And everything else is rejecting that and saying, no, you got to get out of here. Right. So it, it, it's that psychological component that really confuses people and, and adds to the, the strangeness of the experience. And, of course, you know, as you're pointing out, Anytime you introduce children into paranormal, people become very uneasy. Mm-hmm. You know, Hollywood has, has used that to great success in the last 10 years with introducing all of these uh, children has the, you know, the, the sinister presence in these movies, you know, like The Orphan and all, all these different things, uh, where the, the dark energy in the movie is taking the form of a child. It, it's bothersome even to sit and watch as entertainment. Right. Well, we are uh, we're going to have to take a, a final break, and uh, we'll come into right into the news on the other side. So, so uh, David, you can take a break, and when we come back on the other side, we'll be joined more uh, by our guest David Weatherly to talk about the idea of the black-eyed children. Check out his website; you can get to it by going to SpookySouthCoast.com and clicking right on the picture of the front cover of his book up there on the slider. Uh, we're going to take our final break, and then we'll join you up in the next hour with more here on Spooky South Coast. Welcome back in hour number two of Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here. No asylum assassin, Matt Costa. No science advisor, Matt Moniz. They are both out for different reasons. Matt Costa is working, making the dough, literally and figuratively. figuratively. And well, I'm uh, old. Oh, hello. And uh, Matt Moniz is getting old. Well, <laughs> so uh, they'll probably be back with us next week uh, when we return to our regular 10 p.m. time slot. And that's where you'll normally find us, 10 p.m. to midnight, each and every Saturday night, talking about the paranormal. And tonight we're having a great discussion with our guest, David Weatherly, about his book, The Black-Eyed Children, which you can pick up pretty much anywhere books are sold, Amazon.com. And, of course, you can get it from direct from his website, which is linked up on the front page of SpookySouthCoast.com. And if you are on the website there, or if you're on WBSM.com on the Spooky South Coast page, you can watch what's going on in the studio. And I apologize that I am not more 
entertaining visually, but I'm trying to bring up some pictures of you for David while we uh, of David while we d- discuss things with him, and also of the Black Eyed Children, some artistic conceptions of them, so that you can see for yourself and, and have an idea about what we're talking about with these reports. Uh, before we jump right back into the discussion, I do want to let everybody know about a few things. As I mentioned earlier in the show, we're uh, having some changes to SpookySouthCoast.com. We're going to be adding some regular contributor blogs to the site. And already we've got some great articles up there. Uh, Barb Wright is going to be writing for us. She has her first post up there, and some of our good friends uh, are going to be contributing as well, and we'll announce them as they begin posting on the site. But stay tuned to SpookySouthCoast.com every day because there will always be something for you to check out on the website. And we want to thank Summer Ronso, our new webmistress, for helping us uh, make that happen because we were having a lot of trouble with the website. And now she's helping us figure it all out. And also thanks to our our new friend, too, Christina Tufty, who's going to be creating some graphic designs for us as well to help us promote the show each and every week. So we'll be putting out some some banners uh, out on social media, on Twitter and Facebook, that you can help us out by sharing uh, on your accounts as well and getting the word out. And uh, we want to let everybody know, too, that... We have an upcoming Legend Trips event, the USS Salem, on August 31st. If you've never been to the USS Salem, it's a gigantic uh, heavy cruiser that is parked uh, in Quincy Harbor permanently. It's said to be very haunted. And we're talking about not just EVPs, not just strange sensations, not just all these things that happen to us on so many of these Legend Trips events, but we're talking full-bodied apparitions have been captured there. So we're hoping that we can capture those ourselves on August 31st when we go for our Legend Trips event. It's called Dead in the Water, and tickets are $99. You can get them from legendtrips.com and really get on board because this is going to be a unique opportunity to get in there and kind of have the run of the ship for the night. And I was talking with Jeff Belanger, who uh, is our partner in Legend Trips, and it's a joint venture between Spooky South Coast and ghostvillage.com. And we were discussing uh, earlier this afternoon our slate of events for the fall, for the Halloween season. And it looks like we're going to have a full slate for you. Uh, Pretty much, I think... If I remember right, we have, in addition to the USS Salem and Lizzie Borden, which, of course, Lizzie Borden is sold out, those are both in August, uh, we have three events on the horizon, maybe even more for October, September, October, November. So we're going to make sure that we stay busy. We're going to help keep you busy as we head into what we consider to be our holiday season. And let's get back into the discussion with David Weatherly. And, And David, I know that if there was a place where, you know, we could say to people, all right, Here's where you can encounter black-eyed children. We'd probably have a lot of trouble moving those tickets. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I get a lot of people uh, who contact me and say they want to, you know, encounter one of these beings. Really? I mean, for what purpose? Oh, yeah. for, for research purposes or just for their own sick, twisted well, fantasy? Well, I, I think it's a lot of it is just thrill-seeking. You know, it's people who um, maybe think that, that there's nothing really serious about these encounters. You know, I, a lot of it just seems to be uninformed people. Yeah, I think that if you read the book, you'll, you'll change your mind pretty quickly uh, about wanting yeah, to do most that. People, most people who are familiar with the encounters and, and you know, see what the phenomena is about, they're, they're not rushing out to, to try to find these things. And I, Hey, you know, I find it a little bit suspicious that Moniz and Costa just happen to not be on the show tonight. That's true. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> and pretty much any time of the year you look at Costa, you can find him wearing a hooded sweatshirt. And I wouldn't be surprised if, if he turns out to have black eyes. <laughs> so, you know, all that aside, I mean, it's, it's funny. I've been pursuing this stuff, you know, like you said in the bio, over 35 years now. And, uh, 
you know, I really don't have any desire to encounter these things. Um, anything else, you know, I, I'm the guy that if everybody's running away from, you know, a, a negative energy in a room, I'm going to be running towards it. But <laughs> these things, um, you know, consistently I hear all these accounts, and there's just so much negativity, and it happens to the witnesses in the aftermath that, you know, you, you really shouldn't want to go out and find one of these things. Well, part of the issue, though, is there's so many questions about what they could be. And we think that when we go out and investigate for ghosts, for example, we, we have a pretty firm grasp on what's going to happen. Uh, it, you know, it would be something earth shattering uh, to have, uh, you, you know, a, a ghost encounter turn extremely violent. As much as the horror movies, you know, say that they're going to happen all the time, they, they don't really happen that often to us as investigators. But with the black-eyed kids, you really don't know what they are, so you don't know what could happen when you encounter one of them. What if it turns out that they are just another form of the devil and you just came face-to-face with Old Scratch? That's, you know, that's, that's a possibility. One of the things I found uh, so intriguing about this phenomenon when I started exploring it was that it crosses the line into so many different types of paranormal phenomena. You know, as you saw in the book, there are arguments that could be made um, to to say these things are alien hybrids, uh, to say that they're some type of demonic entity, uh, and, and a whole range of other things. And that's really what I tried to do with the book was um, give people a clear concept using actual cases and say, you know, it, it could be this because, you know, look at the correlations with these cases. And I really, I didn't push any kind of agenda. I wanted people to decide for themselves and hopefully, you know, pursue it from their own background and, and their own interests if that's what they were interested in doing and, uh, you know, contributing to figuring out what this phenomenon is. All right, you don't want to have an agenda, but you must have your own way that you're leaning. You know, there must be some direction that you're leaning toward. Personally, yes, absolutely. Um, I think that they are some type of uh, interdimensional entity. And, you know, that's, um, that's based on a lot of different factors. You know, as you pointed out, my background is, is very shamanic. I find that tribal cultures around the world have legends about different beings that lived on this planet. And at some point they left. You know, they went through a portal or a doorway or, you know, a, a shimmering hole in the sky. Uh, there's all different versions of it, but they're all saying the same thing. And that's that there were other entities that lived here, and at some point they left. They went through some type of, of dimensional doorway, and, and they're gone. Now, you know, to some people that sounds like uh, fantasy or science fiction, but bear in mind that quantum science is now pointing to the reality of other dimensions of existence. You know, a few years ago, there was a report printed that that uh, said, you know, quantum science has now determined there are at least 12 other dimensions. Uh, we don't know how to get to them or exactly where they are, but we know they're there. Now, just because we can't get there doesn't mean that something can't get here. And if you look, uh, again, at tribal lore, you know, it says that these beings knew how to access these portals and that they can still come and go if they choose to. So I think that these things are uh, a result of uh, these entities coming through some type of portal, invading our space, so to speak, and, you know, 
testing the waters or, or feeding off of the energy that they encounter here, uh, and that that's also how they're leaving. You know, they're going through these portals, and that explains the sudden disappearances. Well, there is a lot of similarities between the reports of these black-eyed kids, as you document in the book, and with the strange creatures, humanoid creatures that John Keel uh, encountered, for example, the, the writer of the Mothman prophecies. And, and they sound like a lot of these reports that are similar to what we hear from the Men in Black before Men in Black became Tommy Lee Jones and Will Smith, you know, government agents in <laughs> black suits. But when we have the original Keel era reports, uh, the original... Um, you know the even going back to Bender and his reports of the the Men in Black, these strange figures that don't quite seem right. There's so many different things about them that uh, just don't seem like a normal person. Yeah, it's it's great you brought up Teal. He was a huge influence on me. Uh, in fact, my next book has a, a dedication to him in front of it. And um, you know, I, I I met John on a number of occasions before he passed away. He looked at things very holistically when it came to the paranormal. Uh, there's a handful of people that do that. You know, uh, Jacques Vallée does the same thing. Um, a good friend of mine, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, approaches it the, the same way. Uh, you have to look at the, the overall theme of what's happening in any given area and start, you know, thinking outside of the box, so to speak. And when you start looking at a lot of these encounters with various uh, a beings, you know, whether they're humanoid or, or some other form, there's a lot of commonalities. And, you know, I think that, you know, some people believe that there is a basic uh, intelligence or en energy entities behind it. Uh, for instance, uh, Rosemary, you know, really believes that these are a manifestation of the jinn, for instance. Mm -hmm. um, you know, other people point in different directions. And, Either way, I think we're looking at some type of intelligence that is directing this activity, and when it comes through into our level of existence, I think it's testing out and trying different forms. You know, the, the wave of men in black encounters um, fascinating stuff, and, and again, something else that there are correlations with, uh, with the black hat child encounters, because... You know, you can say, okay, well, there's there's uh, a very monotone manner of speaking uh, with these kids. That's similar to the men in black. There are things that seem to uh, confuse the children. You know, the men in black, there are classic stories, for instance, about them, uh, you know, not knowing how to use a pen or, or being confused by a, a fork. You know, very simple everyday objects that we take for granted. Well, we find some of the same things surfacing with these black-eyed kid encounters. Uh, for instance, there was... There was one uh, that came in after the book was published. I believe I put it on my blog. And um, it was from a woman. Uh, and let me preface by saying, all of these accounts, these kids always knock. There's, they never use the doorbell. It's always this long, consistent knock without a break. And this knock If you're considering putting hard... Sorry about that. My computer fired <laughs> off. The black-eyed kids are taking over my computer. All, all the way interference, imagine that. Uh, so this, this, you know, this long, persistent knot just continues until someone comes to the door. And uh, there was a case that came in from this woman who, she was at home by herself. She was trying to finish some kind of project, something. Someone started knocking at the door. And, you know, she was just trying to finish whatever was in her hands. And this knock would not stop. And she got very aggravated about it. And, 
you know, she, she threw the stuff down and she rushes to the door and she flings the door open. These kids are standing there, but before they can even say anything, she just, you know, she kind of rails on them and says, why didn't you use the, you know, bleep bleep doorbell? And she points at the doorbell. And she said after she made that statement, she turned and looked at these kids, and they were looking at the doorbell and then looking at her and then looking at the doorbell. And, and she said that she got this distinct impression that they had no idea what she meant, what she was talking about. They had no idea what that little lighted button was for. And these are the types of things that we find, you know, that are very similar, again, to the men and black encounters. Um, you know, the pale or, or tasty skin, the almost robotic uh, repetition of certain phrases that comes up in a lot of the encounters, as if they've been uh, programmed or as if they've memorized a certain number of phrases, and that's what they just default back to. Well, what I thought was interesting in the link to the men in black cases, especially the the way that Keel reported them, is the the way that they seem to speak, and and not only in having trouble mastering the language and, and having an awkward phrasing of things, but uh, in the way that they don't ask, they don't request, they they tell, they they say things in a in a, a commanding, declaratory way. So it's not you know, will you let us in? It's come on, you're going to let us in. And, and that seems a lot, uh, very similar to the way that Keel reported uh, the way that his men in black would uh, would kind of work their way in is is they didn't say, is it OK if we come in? Will you invite us? in? it's more. Come on, just do it. And it's it's that coaxing that uh, that uh, soothsaying way of trying to uh, work their way in. Right. And, and it's, you know, it comes off more as a, a directive you know, that they're trying to impress upon the person. Mm-hmm. Uh, just let it in. This won't take long, uh, you know. We're just kids. Don't worry about it. Let us in. And you know, it, it's uh, it, it's a request, but it's not phrased that way. At the same time, it's it's very insistent. And there are no accounts that I've ever come across wherein these children force their way in. They they have to have that in, invitation uh, from you know from what it appears and. Oddly enough, of course, this is something that harkens back to classic uh, vampire lore, you know, that there, uh, or, or demonic lore, right. that an invitation has to be issued in order for that entity or that being to cross the threshold. And maybe we invite them in because we have to. You know, maybe maybe that's uh, how they're why they're there. Maybe they're there because you know, they they need to be part of your life for some reason. Uh, maybe these. People are encountering them because they're at a, a, a moment of crisis in their life and they, they don't even realize it. Maybe they're being tested. Maybe their spirituality is being tested. Who knows? Uh, but there definitely seems to be a lot of similarities between black-eyed kids and so many of the other boogeymen that we've had uh, throughout the course of human history. And I want to get into a lot more of that with you coming up in just a few minutes. Uh, folks, we are joined by David Weatherly talking about the phenomena of black-eyed kids. 508-996-0500, 1-877-996-1420. Those are the numbers if you want to call in and ask any questions of David or maybe even share a black-eyed kid encounter yourself. We're going to take a break. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes with more here on WBSM's Spooky South Coast. Um. 
Welcome back into Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here. We are talking about black-eyed children with our guest, David Weatherly. He literally wrote the book on black-eyed children. That's the name of the book, The Black-Eyed Children, uh, with a foreword by uh, Nick Redfern, who we had on Spooky South Coast just a few weeks ago. And, you know, just let us in. Let us in. It'll only take a few minutes. That's, uh, that was kind of my strategy when I was dating in high school. You know, just just come out with me once, and you know that's that's all you need. And uh, unfortunately, I didn't even get that shot <laughs> most of the time. Maybe it was that uh, that black eyed kid like approach. Maybe I needed to to go full creepy with the the hood and the black eyes. So we are talking with David about black eyed children, and we're we're trying to get into the heart of what these beings could be, where they could be coming from. And uh, we actually have a call on the line here, so why don't we take that first before we get more into it. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast with our guest, David Weatherly. How are you doing? Hi, good. How are you? Oh, we are spooktacular, as we say here. Yeah, okay. Um, I'm kind of briefly listening to your um, radio show about black-eyed children. Mm-hmm. And does it have to just be children? Teenagers? The, the only reason I'm asking you is because I would say about five years ago, I actually encountered something like this and I would say the person was like in his thirties. Well, David, you write about in the book that it doesn't necessarily have to be kids. Okay, it doesn't have to be kids because I believe I met one of these people. What, can you describe to us the uh, the encounter that you had? Yes, I was actually walking my. It was about nine o'clock at night, and I was walking my friend to her car, and there was a person walking with a dog, and I'm an animal lover. So if you're walking an animal, I think you're a good person anyway. You know what I mean? So I remember asking this person, hey, is your dog friendly? Can I pet him? And he didn't say nothing, so I figured he didn't hear me. And I asked him again, is your dog friendly? Can I pet him? And this person was, at the time, looking down at the street, you know, at the sidewalk, and he raised his head up slowly, and he looked at me, and he said, no. And when I looked at him, his eyes were totally totally black and I was so scared I grabbed my friend I just kept walking and as we you know crossed like another street to get to her car I said let's hurry up and go let's go let's go quick I gotta get in your car I'm not walking back I gotta get in your car and she's like what's wrong what's wrong I'm like this guy's eyes were totally black she thought I was crazy and then I watched I sat in her car and watched this man walk with his dog I made sure he was out of sight, and I said, okay, now drop me back off at the house, which was like five houses down. I'm not walking. And I went back to the house to where I was, and I told everybody in the house what I encountered. And I'm like, I'm telling you, I seen this guy. His eyes were totally black, and I was scared. I have never been scared like this in my life before. I was scared. I could feel it within my being. I was scared. And where, can I just ask where this happened? In New Bedford, right on Sycamore Street. Sycamore. Oh, okay. So we do have we do have a New Bedford encounter for the woman who called earlier. I'm sorry to tell you that, but uh, and and David, this probably sounds like some of the uh, the experiences that you've chronicled uh, in in the book. Yeah, that that's great. Let me let me say to the caller, I, I would I would love to hear more about that account. So please feel free to contact me. You can contact me through my blog. Uh, there's a Facebook badge on there. If you're on Facebook, you know, feel free to friend me, and and I'd love to hear some more details about that because these are the kind of things that have started to emerge more as people have begun to recognize this phenomenon more 
You know, when I wrote the book, I focused on the accounts that involved the kids for a number of reasons. One is that at the time there was a fairly small number of encounters with black-eyed adults. Uh, and, you know, out of those, some of them were clearly, you know, hoaxes or, or, you know, other things going on. So there was a fairly small number of accounts that involved uh, adults with solid black eyes mm-hmm. behaving in a similar manner as these kids. However, since then, a lot more of these types of accounts have come forward, and, you know, more and more people are um, – having run-ins with these beings that are adults in form and have the solid black eyes. Now, your account is particularly fascinating because there's an animal I don't mean involved. to interrupt you, but why are you not as clear as the first person I was talking to? <laughs> I'm really trying to hear you. Oh, I'm sorry. It, it, he, well, David's on the phone as well, so it's probably having a little bit of trouble Oh, going from phone <laughs> to phone. I'm like hearing bits and pieces. He sounds muffled. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll well, turn, I'll turn him up same. a little bit. Hopefully, hopefully you can go back and listen to it in the archives. <laughs> right, we do. We do put podcasts up, and we have YouTube videos up of all of our shows. So uh, That's you might That's be able great. to hear David's answer better there. Well, I thank you very much for calling in and sharing. You're welcome. All right, have a great and night. I'll tell you what, it scared me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm a little scared now hearing you tell that story because you know we're not that far from Sycamore Street here in Fairhaven. So I um, I actually thought it was demonic. Now that's definitely one of the uh, one of the ideas behind these uh, that we're going to explore uh, throughout this hour. So stay tuned. All right, thank you. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. Uh, yeah, that is one of the uh, one of the really creepy stories, uh, <laughs> and and to know that it happened just a few miles from where we are, uh, I do hope that Matt Costa shows up before the end of the night because I don't want to walk out to the parking <laughs> lot by myself, and it takes a lot to scare me. So. Uh, but she had mentioned that she thought that it was demonic. That is another angle to these black-eyed kids. A, a lot of people feel that they are some sort of demonic entity. In, in fact, that uh, that 1950 story that we related earlier, that family felt that they were dealing with something that was demonic. Absolutely. And, you know, that's probably, as I stated earlier, hands down, the two most popular theories are that they are either demonic entities or that they're some type of alien hybrid. And uh, some people believe it's, it's both at the same time, you know, that there's some type of hybrid alien demonic entity. But, uh, you know, that, um, that's... That's a lot for one, for one entity to have to handle. Yeah. <laughs> you know, all of that aside, um, there's a lot of things that are very similar to traditional um, demonology. You know, a demonologist will tell you that um, a, a demonic entity cannot take complete human form, that something has to be, you know, misshapen or, or different. And these people uh, believe that these kids are, are demonic entities, and the one thing they didn't quite get that was fully human was the uh, appearance of the eyes. Uh, you know, there's the, <clears throat> the thing that we were discussing earlier in that they seem to need an invitation, that they can't just uh, barge in. And, and that's that's classical demonology too, you know. Whether it's whether it's a, a full out and out possession, or whether it's an infestation in the house, you know, the the belief is that somehow some type of invitation was issued, some type of opening was created for that entity to come in, and you know, these black-eyed beings they're showing up and they are insisting that, you know, somehow you invite them in, you know, and, and they'll literally say that, so just ask us in. And, you know, it, it's, we have to wonder why. You would think with so many cases, if there wasn't some type of um, 
energetic restriction or something in place, you would think that at some point one of these kids would have, you know, crossed the line and, and stepped in the house themselves or shoved their way in or something, but it, it doesn't happen. Right, especially when you're dealing with uh, with teenagers. You know, they're, they're not exactly the most uh, polite <laughs> group of people normally. Uh, so you would expect right. that one of them would kind of force their way in. Well, we're going to take a break. Uh, if you would like to call in and either share an experience or ask a question of our guest, David Weatherly, about the topic of black-eyed children or anything paranormal in general, give us a call, 508-996-0500-1877-996-1420. And if you want to check out his website, you can do so by going to SpookySouthCoast.com and clicking right on the link on the front page. When you see the cover of his book pop up, that's when you'll know that's where you want to click. And it'll take you right to his website where you can purchase the book and find out more about David and about the Black Eyed Children. We'll be back in just a few minutes here on WBSM's Spooky South Coast. Don't look now, but Spooky South Coast is creeping up behind you right after this. Spooky South Coast, Tim Weisberg. That's for my, my boy Bill Cooksey. A little Guns N' Roses here on the Spooky South Coast program. And now uh, we are talking about black-eyed kids with our guest, David Weatherly. Check out his website by going to SpookySouthCoast.com and clicking right on the picture of his book, The Black-Eyed Children, which you definitely want to pick up. But like I said, don't read it right before you're about to go to bed. And uh, I was actually talking with a friend of mine on Facebook earlier this week, David, and we, we talked, we had a strategy for reading your book about, you know, making sure that we stopped by a certain point in time and then watching a few hours of, of a sitcom or something just to try to get it out of our mind a little bit. You know, we do what we have to. All right. If you'd like to call in and ask a question of our guest, David Weatherly, give us a call, 508-996-0500, We have another call here. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast with David Weatherly. How's it going? Hi. Um, I, I just had a question. It's like um, they say most of the time it's um, children, well, the teenagers that have the black eyes. Mm-hmm. But don't they have to age? I mean, don't they turn into adults after a while? Well, is is that something, uh, David, that uh, has been reported? Do we do we can we see similarities enough between these beings from from one report to another to know that it might be the same individual and it hasn't aged? No, um, you know the the reports, uh, the descriptions are fairly generic, but there doesn't seem to be anything that indicates it's the same, you know, the same person, the same kid or, or being or whatever it is. Plus, you know, geographically. The reports are so widespread that you know it doesn't make any sense that it's the same person. So theoretically, they could be aging. Yeah, I mean they do have to age, so it's possible to encounter adults with those kind of eyes as well. Well, that's true, especially though if they if they are human, we're, we're making a leap in logic there that they would have to age. Maybe they don't. Espe- oh, I think, yeah, it's, yeah, it's possible. There's just so much evidence to point to these beings not being human mm-hmm. at all. Uh, you know, there's so many little subtle things. For instance, we haven't gotten into it, but here's something interesting, Tim. We were talking about patterns earlier. You know, I consistently ask people 
for instance, if they've ever noticed any kind of blemish, um, you know, a, a mole, a freckle, a, a pimple, anything on these children, and they never do. Yeah. Now, you know, these are, are supposedly kids, you know, right in that <laughs> that age span where puberty is kicking in and so forth, and you would expect something, you know, some, some type of blemish. And there never is. No one ever notices anything like that. Uh, likewise, of course, no one ever sees one. Are of you one of the nearly half? Sorry, my computer again. <laughs> no one ever sees one of these kids with a, a cell phone or an iPod, or you know, or wearing a watch. Any of the common things that you know you would expect from this age group. I mean, go out in public and and just observe, you know, kids from from ten to sixteen for a few minutes. And how many of them are plugged in with headphones? Mm-hmm. You know, how how many of them have something? You know, a phone in hand that they're texting. That never happens with these kids. It's, it's never witnessed. All right. Well, thank you so much for the call. Oh, I, I have another oh, question. Oh, sure, absolutely. Or comment. Um, that person I called in earlier who had that experience with my sister, and I just had a thought Don't um, that this person was walking a dog. Now, don't animals usually cower away from demonic spirits or anything that's strange? They usually cower away. So was this dog also the same type as this human being if he was one? Not human being, but entity if he was one? What do you think, David? Could could the animal have been a familiar? Well, it, it could have been because that's one of the things I was saying that was so unusual about that account that uh, the caller, you know, reported to us. I have I have never heard of one of these black-eyed beings having an animal close to them that they were walking or holding or anything like that. It's extremely unusual, and in fact, it's very unusual to have accounts at all where there's an animal present. There are a handful of them, and, and when that occurs, the animals do respond exactly like this caller is, is expecting. You know, they, they cower away. They run fear from mm. sensing that evil or negative energy. Hmm, very interesting. Well, uh, again, I, I said it to your sister, and I'll say it to you. I hope that uh, it doesn't happen again. Oh, yeah. I'm glad I got some holy water at home, too. There you go. Keep, <laughs> keep it in your pocket. Thank, thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Have a great night. And uh, if you would like to call in with any thoughts or questions, 508-996-0500-1877-996-1420. And, David, one of the theories that we mentioned before we took the break was you mentioned alien hybrids. And that is a very popular theory for for not just the black-eyed children but for a lot of uh, strange and unusual reports that we get. And it would makes sense to have them go from being children to being adults if they were some sort of alien hybrid uh, because they would we would assume age uh, and there are a lot of abduction reports that uh, are very similar to people who encounter the black-eyed children yeah there are a lot of commonalities and of course you know, for years and years now, we've been hearing about, uh, you know, abductees who believe they were involved or, or used for some type of alien breeding program, you know, a hybrid breeding program. And there are a lot of accounts out there of people who uh, claim to have been taken aboard ship and having seen a child they believe was a result of, of you know, their participation, unwilling participation in some type of breeding program, often these kids are described as being very pale-skinned, uh, human in form, but with some startling differences, uh, sometimes very wispy hair, and often, you know, the, the gray alien, solid black eyes. So this has sort of uh, led to a lot of people believing these black-eyed kid encounters are an evolution of 
the so-called hybrid breeding program. And, you know, we, we get into, obviously, a lot of areas of, of speculation, and all we have are, uh, you know, theories when it comes down to it. Um, I, I don't, personally, I'm not a big proponent of extraterrestrial, you know, life coming down and, and creating this breeding program. It's not to say there's not something going on that could explain that. There are just so many accounts. I think we can't completely ignore it at this point. Uh, but, yeah, a lot of people, even some people who have encountered the black-eyed children, believe that they are some type of alien-human hybrid. Uh, there's been a few accounts I've received from abductees who say that these kids, you know, 10, 12 years old, have shown up at their homes and uh, knocking on the door like a typical black-eyed kid encounter, but they believe that the child is, is quote, theirs, and it's just coming to make its presence known. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's curious. It's, it's one of the small subsets of, of these encounters that we have wherein the person is not terrified. In fact, those are the only encounters I've had that, um, you know, the victim wasn't completely terrified of the encounter because they believed it was their child. Well, uh, <laughs> I just got a funny tweet uh, sent to me. Uh, I had tweeted out at the beginning of this hour. I said, has anybody had an encounter with a black-eyed kid? Wondering what they might be. David Weatherly discusses the next hour. And uh, speaking of John Keel, our, our friend Lauren Coleman tweeted back, and he, <laughs> he hashtagged black-eyed kids. When did kids beat up in the schoolyard all of a sudden get to be psychic phenomena? I'm worried about this world. <laughs> so, of course, Lauren knows full well what black-eyed kids are. He's just teasing. But uh, And also, uh, happy birthday to Lauren. It was just his birthday the other day. But And if anybody wants to wish him a happy birthday, they can do so by making a donation to the International Cryptozoology Museum. Uh, but it really, though, it, it, it is something that we have to be concerned about because these reports are happening so much uh, that – People are on the lookout now for black-eyed children. And when you see kids walking around the neighborhood, you know, you're going to look at them twice and, and kind of make sure that you can see the, the whites of their eyes. And I got a question in the chat room from, from Low Battery Dave. Uh, he had mentioned, I guess he was a little bit late to the show, the idea of is there a medical condition? And we talked about that a little bit earlier on, and you address it in the book. There is no known medical condition that would cause people to not have any whites of their eyes. But you do talk about one very strange and very uh, untested procedure that people can have in which they can tattoo the whites of their eyes. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's actually been outlawed in a number of states now. I can see the, why. Well, the they can't see, but involved. I can see. Right. Right. So um, there are just a handful of people who have went through that procedure uh, and not to turn their eyes solid black, but to put uh, there was there was one fellow who put um, it, it's a process that basically injects the ink into the eyeball itself. And, mm. and if you're like me, this is painful to even think about, Yeah, no, <laughs> you know, let, let alone sit down and have it done. But uh you know, these guys, um, oh, I can't remember his name. There's a guy who has done extensive amount of body modification, and he's very famous for it. He was the first one, actually, who had it done. And, uh, you know, he had one of his eyes changed to, I think, solid blue. But it, it's like a bright sort of glaring blue, you know, it's very noticeable. And uh, it actually involves using a needle to inject the uh, ink 
into the eyeball itself so that it changes and alters the color. There's also a way they can tattoo patterns on the eyeball, like a star and things like that. As I said, I'm only aware of a handful of people who have had the procedure done. A lot of states have outlawed it now because of the danger involved, and, and certainly there's no record of any children ever having anything like that done. Yeah, I, I don't know if I could. I mean, I know when I poke myself in the eye, like it takes days for me to feel right again. I can't right. imagine intentionally sticking something. I mean, I, I look at, I wear glasses, and I look at people putting in contact lenses, and I'm like, no, nah, that's not for me. So <laughs> I can only imagine what it yeah. must be like to, to have to actually inject ink into your eye. And, and certainly uh, these other medical conditions that you write about in the book, none of them would have the effect uh, that we see in these black-eyed kid reports. No, that's correct. They they essentially there's a handful of conditions. You know, I, I spoke to medical professionals, and uh, there's a few conditions: uh, aniridia, uh, madraces. These things essentially cause what's called a blown pupil. They distort the pupil itself. Uh, sometimes they make it uh, appear enlarged. You know, they just uh, sometimes they'll discolor, turning it to like a yellowish color. Uh, but these are, are first of all, they're fairly rare conditions. Uh, second of all, they make the eyes extremely sensitive, and the people who are you know, suffering through this, they, they're out seeking medical help to, uh, you know, to not have to deal with this. So um, there, there are no known conditions that cause the eye to go completely black. There's a couple of myths out there that, that there's some type of drug that will cause the eye to turn solid black, but that's, uh, I, I've never found any evidence of that. I've, I've spoken to medical professionals. I've spoken to, you know, law enforcement people who specialize in drug task force. It's just I, I've never found any evidence of such a thing. All right, well, why don't we take our final break of the show, and if you have any thoughts or questions for our guest, David Weatherly, about the topic of black-eyed children or anything uh, paranormal, give us a call, 508-996-0500, We'll be right back with more here on Spooky South Coast on WBSM. It blew books off shelves from 20 feet away and scared the socks off some poor librarian. Turn on all your lights, lock the doors, and pull down the shades. Spooky South Coast is back. This looks extraordinarily bad. (laughs) Welcome back. Tim Weisberg here with you early here on a Saturday night. And uh, we are just about up against the news break. We'll come back after the news for 20 minutes more of the program uh, here on Spooky South Coast leading into the Red Sox pregame at 920, and then they'll be taking over our normal time slot. We'll be preempted by the Red Sox, but uh, that's all right because we got a chance to talk to you here on, a, on an early Saturday evening, which I'm very glad for because that gave us the chance to take that call and find out about a black-eyed kid encounter right here in the New Bedford area. Uh, but, D- David, we had mentioned uh, that you had mentioned you were working on a, on a new book, and uh, I saw that online. Uh, is it called The Intruders? Intruders. Uh, it will be out literally within uh, just the next couple of weeks or so. And uh, it covers uh, a lot of different encounters with various beings. Uh, there's a whole chapter on puck wedgies in there. Uh, there's a, a chapter on uh, black-eyed bean encounters that covers some of the uh, accounts of, of black-eyed adults, as well as a couple more accounts of black-eyed kids. Uh, there's a chapter on the Slender Man, which is uh, something I've constantly been asked about over the last several years. Uh, there's a chapter on the gin, which is something else a lot of people are, are interested in, and just a whole uh, plethora of other different encounters, entity encounters, basically. 
Oh, it definitely sounds like it's going to be another creepy one that I'm not going to want to read with the lights off. Well, not that I can read with the lights <laughs> off anyway, but you know what I mean. And uh, I can only imagine how creeped out you must get writing about these and hearing these stories and, and going through the process of questioning people about their encounters and realizing, oh, no, wait, this legitimately happened. Yeah, I, I don't know how creeped out I get. Has, has, you know, we've talked about it. I've been in this field a long time, and uh, occasionally there'll be one that comes along that – that sort of gives you the chill, you know, when somebody's uh, relating it to you. And, and it just, <laughs> you know, it, it makes you feel very uneasy. There are a couple other black kid encou- encounters that are uh, particularly unnerving when you put yourself in the place of the person who experienced them. Well, we hope that uh, you so- can... I'm sorry, I was going to say, we hope that you can come back uh, and, and discuss this, but when, when this book gets sent to me, I'm going to tell you, it's going to be another one with the cover down. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think you've seen the cover, which is uh, just an incredible piece of artwork. A friend of mine, uh, Sam Sharon, from the UK, did that, and uh, it, he, he did an amazing job. I gave him my concept, and he sort of took it and ran. And, and it, uh, if anyone hasn't seen it, you can go to either my blog or my Facebook page and see it. It's been uh, posted there, and it's getting a lot of positive comments, which uh, I hope people are looking forward to reading it, too. And the blog is at twocrowsparanormal.blogspot.com. And that's the, the best way for people to get a hold of you if they want to share their own black-eyed kid encounter or, or any kind of strange report that they want to share with you? Absolutely. Just contact me right there. You know, you can post a, a, a comment or you can uh, contact me on my Facebook page, which is linked on there. I also have a Twitter feed, which is uh, twocrowspara at uh, twitter.com. And, yeah, people are, are free to contact me and let me know about their personal encounters with not just the black cat children, but, you know, I'm interested in a lot of different types of phenomena. So, yeah, feel free to contact me. And I've got a lot of events coming up. I'll be at the Paradigm Symposium this year in Minneapolis. Uh, I'll be at Phantom Fest in San Antonio, Texas in October. Um, I'll be speaking in L.A. a couple of times in the fall. But uh, all of that information gets posted on my blog and my Facebook page. Excellent. Well, I thank- love to meet people. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm so glad we could finally have you on to discuss the black-eyed children. Hey, anytime, Tim. It's been a pleasure. All right. Have a great night. Thanks. You too. Bye-bye. That is David Weatherly, and you can check his website out, twocrowsparanormal.blogspot.com. Be right back with more here on Spooky South Coast. supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen. AM 1420 WBSM presents Spooky South Ghost with your hosts Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa. Welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here. The silent assassin Matt Costa and science advisor Matt Moniz are not in the house tonight. Well, actually, I think Moniz is in the house, but it's just his house, not the spooky South Coast house. He is uh, he is off tonight, and Matt Costa is out slaving away, making the bucks. So uh, he may stop in before the end of the program, depending on when his shift gets over. But, you know, it was either coming here and, and have to do it for free because spooky South Coast can't afford 
the kind of money that Matt Costa commands, or uh, or go out there and work his job. So uh, I think he made the wise choice. And we, we had a great discussion in the first two hours with David Weatherly talking about Black Eyed Kids. If you missed any part of the show, we will podcast it. Uh, you can get our podcasts from iTunes or wherever podcasts are found, free of charge. Seven and a half years worth of archives, all the way back to the first show. As bad as it was. <laughs> and there's lots of great ones along the way as well that you can check out. Uh, just, again, f- free. I can't, I can't stress that enough that it's just great free entertainment. If you want to learn more about the paranormal, if this is the first time you've ever heard the program and you want to find out more about what we talk about each and every week, there's no better resource than just downloading some of those podcasts and listening to the great guests that we've had over the years. Because, you know, the spooky crew here, we don't really know. We know what we're doing, but... You know, we're not the authorities on the subject. We're not the people who have spent uh, our entire lives research. Well, Matt Moniz, my co-host, has. But, uh, you know, we, we try to use this show as a forum for people to get the information out to the audience. So it's best if instead of hearing me yammer on about it, you go back and listen to the archives and you will learn about things that you didn't even know existed. And uh, you can also watch us on YouTube as well on Spooky TV. Uh, we do... Put those up there as well. We haven't been doing that for as long, so if you are interested in checking out those archives, there's not as many uh, up there. We've only been doing Spooky TV for a few years now, but there's still plenty of videos up there to check out, and we're working on creating some new video content for our website that will be up there, and we also have our new blog feature up on SpookySouthCoast.com as well. Barb Wright has the first one up there for you to check out. And there's some articles that were written by myself and Chris Balzano, the show's content director. Uh, so there's plenty to read if you want to peruse the site, maybe while you're eating dinner. or you know, I like, to, I like to read the site when I first get home and see what kind of new information we have up there. And it, It's really, uh, we're trying to make it, a one-stop shop for all things paranormal. So check out SpookySouthCoast.com and our thanks to our new web mistress, Semaronso, for all of her help in helping us figure out what's going on. And, of course, uh, Christina Tufty will be creating some great graphics for us uh, in the coming weeks as well. And if you'd like to be a contributor to SpookySouthCoast.com, if you think you have something to say about the paranormal, or perhaps you want to host your own show on Spooky TV. Get in touch with us, Spooky Crew at SpookySouthCoast.com, and we can figure out a way to make it happen for you. I know a lot of people out there, too, have asked how they can investigate. People want to get out there and get their feet wet and actually go out there and look for signs of the paranormal. And you can do that through our Legend Trips events. Uh, what it is, is it's a very unique type of event. There's, there's a lot of these paranormal investigation events out there now, but we try to make it a little bit different than some of these other ones because you, you go to these other events and they bring in some of the TV stars from Ghost Hunters and Ghost Adventures and people who have been all, on all these different documentary programs. And when we do events, we like the location to be the star. So uh, Legend Trips are a joint venture between Spooky South Coast and GhostVillage.com and and, uh, Ghost Village founder Jeff Belanger. And we try to find unique historic haunts throughout the New England area where we can bring a group of people and have them really appreciate not only the haunts that are taking place at that location, but also the history of it as well. And a portion of all of our ticket proceeds go right back into helping those locations uh, stay open. And we've been able to raise significant amounts of money over the years. We've raised over $10,000 to help benefit the places that we investigate. And that number is only going to go up significantly uh, by the end of the fall because we are planning a full slate of Legend Trips events uh, through August, September, October, and into November. 
So you'll have your opportunity to help support some uh, different historic haunts around here. And maybe, just maybe, when all is said and done, we might hit that magical $15,000 mark by the end of 2013. So that's that's what we're shooting for. We'd like to be able to to reach the $15,000 donation mark by December 31st. So let's hope that we can do so. And in order to do that, we need you to come along with us. And you can get your tickets for our event that's on sale right now at the USS Salem coming up on August 31st. It's in Quincy Harbor. It is a museum, and it is also a giant heavy cruiser uh, battleship, and it's sitting right there in Quincy Harbor, and it is haunted. So we'll be there investigating on August 31st, and if you've never been to one of our events, we offer dinner, we offer lectures, and I'm not talking like lecturing at you like, you know, here's what's going on, and you just sit there and listen, and there's going to be a pop quiz at the end of it. No, we're talking about interactive, entertaining discussions about topics within the paranormal. And we'll talk about the history of the ship as well. So you're getting a valuable lesson as well. You're getting the same tour that you would get if you went there and took the tour during the day, but it's just part of this overall event. We're actually work, trying to work things out, too, so that people who want to can sleep on the ship. We always try to get a hotel deal nearby uh, because a lot of people come from out of state and from far away for our Legend Trips events. So we try to get a deal at a local hotel so that they don't have to travel all the way home because we're getting out of there at 2 o'clock in the morning and people just want to crash. So we try to get the best deal possible uh, at the closest location possible to make it easy on our guests. And how much closer can you get than actually sleeping on the USS Salem? So we're working on trying to finalize that. I'll have more on that hopefully next week. And also... I may be able to start announcing some of these future events that we have planned. But uh, two of them are going to be locations that we've been to in the past, uh, two of our biggest and most successful events uh, in terms of both the number of people who have come and the number of amount of money we've raised, but also in terms of the activity that we've had as well. So we're going to be returning to two familiar haunts, pun intended, and then a new place that we've never investigated before, but will soon be in even more demand than it is right now. So that's about all I can reveal for that. Uh, but some of our legend trippers, our regulars, they know what I'm talking about. And if you want to get on the pre-sale list to get first access at these tickets before anybody else does, go to legendtrips.com and sign up for the email list. It's that easy. And then what happens is when we have an event that we're going to put on sale, we have an exclusive pre-sale, usually three, four, five, six, sometimes even seven days before we open it up to the public. You'll have an opportunity to buy those tickets uh, in advance. And I can tell you that we do events at Lizzie Borden's in Fall River that sell out in the pre-sale. They don't even make it to the public sale because people who are on the mailing list snatch up all those tickets. They're very intimate events. And this new location that we'll be investigating this fall, that is another similar intimate setting. And if I tell you anything more, you might be able to figure it out. So I, I don't want to give too much away. But that's going to be another one of those places where you're going to want to get in on this pretty quick because uh, it's going to be gone um, we might set records for how fast the tickets sell out uh, with this event. So join the Legend Trips mailing list by going to legendtrips.com. And while you're there, you can see some of our past events where we've held other events in the past. And you can find out more about the current event that's on sale, the USS Salem, on August 31st. We've only got a few minutes left here on the show. But if anybody does want to call in with any thoughts or questions about the paranormal, 508 996 500 one eight seven seven nine nine six fourteen twenty. During the course of the program tonight, we got an email from a gentleman who has just started a new venture, uh, a new website 
that uh, is called UFO Report Massachusetts. And if you go to the website, uforeportmass.weebly.com, that's uforeportmass.weebly.com, this gentleman has put together a site that has some UFO reports uh, by region of the state. And then it breaks down into towns from there. So everything from Bridgewater, Kingston, Middleborough, Lakeville, New Bedford, North Attleboro, Chicopee, Ludlow, Springfield, Tennisport, Provincetown, West Tisbury, and uh, all around the Boston metro and northeast area. You can check out uforeportmass.weebly.com to read some of these reports. And also you can enter in your own sightings on that website to help build up this database. You can also uh, email uforeportmass at juno.com, uforeportmass at com. so that if you want to share your own experience and and get it up there and have it cataloged, this will be the way to do it. Because, of course, MUFON catalogs all of these reports, uh, but you can't always get access to those as easily as you can with this website. All these stories are right there uh, for you to check out and see. And hopefully as these reports break, as we had a few weeks ago take place uh, in the Wareham area where there was a number of UFO sightings, they'll get up on the website quickly enough that people can verify, all right, I wasn't the only one that saw that. And the key here uh, with this website, of course, is, is the gentleman that's running it is going to have to uh, verify what's going on. He's going to have to contact the FAA and local authorities and make sure that there was any kind of flight that was going on that would be misconstrued as a UFO. So it's going to be a lot of work. So I wish him the best of luck with that. UFOreportmass.weebly.com. And uh, that is going to be about it for the program tonight. Uh, the Red Sox are coming up at 920. Their first pitch will be after 10 o'clock, but the pregame show is starting in just a few minutes. We'll be back next week where we're going to be joined by Lara Calhoun, who is the head of Resurrection Talent LLC. We're going to find out why people in the paranormal field need to have an agent. Why do they need to have somebody whose job it is is to uh, book them public speaking appearances and convention appearances and everything else when isn't your job supposed to be to be a paranormal investigator? Isn't that what you're in this for, to find answers to the unknown? Or are you in it to become famous and make money? We'll talk about all that and more with Lara. I wish there was money to be made. Let me tell you. We'll talk about all that and more next week with our guest, Lara Calhoun. And then the week after that, we'll be talking with Mac Maloney. He'll be returning to the show to talk with us more about UFOs and about other Area 51 locations around the world. Stay tuned for the Red Sox. We will see you next week. Until then, we want you all to stay spooktacular. The following is a special presentation of WBSM Sports. AM 1420. W.